Today I've titled the message, The Proper Attire. The Proper Attire. Dress the part, you could say. Dress the part. Years ago, when I had first come to Christ, you know, I, I came through Calvary Chapel, and if you know anything about uh, the old days of Calvary Chapel, uh, flower shirts, flip-flops, you know, shorts, that was really the, the, the deal. That was the style. Calvary Chapel was really known for that, even though that's not so much the style nowadays, but uh, I really latched on to that. I thought that was the coolest thing, and so believe it or not, I was all about the flower shirts and the flip-flops as a new believer. And I just kind of thought that was the way it was everywhere. And so I got invited to a wedding. And so I show up at this wedding with uh, flip-flops and cargo shorts and a polo shirt. And I'm just totally comfortable. And it was this Episcopalian church. And everyone was as dressed up as they could possibly be. They had communion with bread and wine. And I was like, this is the craziest, fanciest thing I've ever seen. And out of the hundreds of people here... Here I am, the Calvary Chapel guy in the flip-flops and shorts, and I, it was it was pretty, uh, you know, I was stunned. I don't know how else to put it. It was very obvious that I was totally uh, underdressed. I was out of place, to be sure. And so, you know, years later, I, I kind of learned from that, so I thought, but I, I was actually invited to do a, a wedding in Montana, and so I knew these folks. Uh, I had known them from Tennessee, and they were they were, you know, I mean, good old, good old boys and girls, country folk. And so I said, what's the dress code going to be like there? And they're like, oh, you know, jeans and button-up shirts. And I'm like, okay. So, of course, I showed up totally underdressed again. I mean, so I don't know how they did it, but jeans and button-up shirts, it was like as hip and fancy and cool as anything I ever saw. And I was this, the slob up there front and center doing the wedding. And I thought, man, I've really got to stop doing this, okay? I don't know how in the world I did it again. Well, it's funny because, uh, interestingly enough, Jesus tells a story uh, about proper wedding attire. In uh, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a story about uh, a wedding that was being put on and an invitation that was sent out, and most people did not, did not come. And so the king compelled his servants to go out and, and just compel anybody and everybody that would come. And so... Uh, it says in verse 11 of chapter 22, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless, speechless. Dress code matters in the kingdom of God. Dress code matters in the kingdom of God. But of course, we're not talking about actual clothes here. We're not talking about physical dress. Uh, the, the idea even in that story would be that this person attempted to come into the kingdom without the, the proper garments that had been provided. And, and that really is a, a picture of the righteousness of Christ. No one is going to be in the kingdom without the proper garments, without the righteousness that Christ has provided, the robes of righteousness, as it were. And so the Bible has a lot to say about dress code, a lot of interesting illustrations. But as I said, this is not so much physical as it is spiritual. This is a spiritual reality. And I think Romans chapter 13 really picks up on this. In verse 12, it says that the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So here we're introduced to this principle, the taking off 
and putting on. We're to cast off the works of darkness as though we were taking off a, a garment of some sort. And then we're to put on instead the armor of light. And then it says this, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's something that we're going to hear as we work through our text today, this idea of putting off and putting on. And here we're told we are to put on Christ and we're to put on his righteousness. What we're talking about is inward and outward righteousness. We want to be right with God inwardly, amen, from the heart. But we also want to be right with God outwardly on the outside. We want to have an outward lifestyle that is consistent with our identity in Christ. We say that we belong to Jesus and that he has made us new and that we are forever different on the inside. Well, our outside ought to reflect that. You know, both are crucial. Both are crucial. I would say of most importance is the inward change, the inward man, the inward woman. And this was the problem that Jesus always had with the Pharisees. You know, they looked the part outwardly but inwardly, Jesus, Jesus said they were like dead men's bones. They were like tombs, you know. And so we have to have both. It's critical that we be alive inwardly to be in right standing with God. And we're going to talk about that. But it's also critical that we dress the part outwardly, that we look the part, that we have the proper attire on. Amen. And so that's why I've titled this the proper attire or dress the part. And I want to read um, Ephesians 4 before we actually get into our text, because this is actually somewhat of a parallel passage. Really fascinating. Colossians 3, if you read Colossians 3 and then look at Ephesians 4, uh, it's striking the similarities there. And so uh, I think this kind of helps fill in a little more what we're looking at, and it's a great way to start. So I'm going to read Ephesians 4 for us, and you can just follow along. It says in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So this is, this is who we were. This is the world apart from Christ. But then this, in verse 20, he says, "...but you have not so learned Christ." If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be looking at in Colossians 3 today, putting on the new man. We talked about that last week, remember, that we were to, to put off certain behaviors, certain attitudes, certain sinful tendencies. When we come to the knowledge of Christ, those things are no longer befitting who we are and we're to put those things off. But now we're going to look at the positive aspect, the positive side, and what are we to replace those things with? What are we to put on? So that's where we're going today. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be picking up in verse 9. It says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, 
circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, so we have four points basically today in our text. Four R's, I have it outlined as such, and we'll just look at them one at a time. But the first thing we're going to see in verses 9 and 10, point one, is the replacement of the old man with the new man in Christ. So if you're taking notes, your first R is replacement. The replacement of the old man with the new man in Christ. Verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. So what this speaks of here is our position in Christ, our position, the position of the new man or the new woman. This would be our identity. It's fixed. God has made us new. God has made us new, and that is who we are. On our best day, on our worst day, we are accepted by God. His love for us does not waver. It doesn't change. He's not going to love us any more than he already does. He's not going to love us any less than he does. And that, that comes with being a new man or a new woman in Christ. And that is our position. So as such, the idea here is that we have to live consistently with that. That's who we are. It's our position. We've replaced the old with the new and we have to live that way. Now the Bible describes the Christian. The Christian. If you have trusted Christ... If you have identified with Christ, if your hope is in him and you are called by his name, then the Bible says that you are a new man or a new woman. The old man or the old woman describes the person before they were born again. Before you came to know Christ, that was the old man or the old woman. Did you know that uh, the apostle Paul, one of uh, his, his father was one of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus. Did you know that? The Bible says it. Paul says it. He says, my old man was crucified with Christ. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't exactly say that. The old man, the old woman, is, according to the Bible, unregenerate. Slaves. Slaves to our sin nature. Rebels against God. Dead in sin. For God's wrath. That is heavy, but that's how the Bible describes the person who's outside of Christ, the old man, the old woman. That was their state. That was our state. And Romans 5 describes this person as being in Adam, as being in Adam, our original state. All of humanity, everyone born of flesh and blood is, is born in Adam, Romans 5 says. And it, it says in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, 
Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And so that is why the world is the way that it is. That is why humanity is the way that it is because Adam sinned and the Bible places the, the blame squarely on his shoulders here. Adam sinned and the curse came, the fall came, and as a result, all of humanity from that point forward was born in that state. Born in a state of spiritual death, separated from God, uh, not capable of, of knowing God or, or walking with God, serving or pleasing God, totally dead in sin. And so that is what it is to be in Adam. And the Bible says that that is true of the whole world, true of the whole world. The old man is in Adam and Adam alone. However, just as death came through Adam, Life came through who? Christ. Jesus Christ. It says in that same chapter, in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. It's because of one man that sin entered the whole world and spread through all of humanity. And it's because of one man that salvation and righteousness can come. Amen. Through the righteous works of Jesus Christ. Through his life his death, his burial, and resurrection. Because of that, salvation has come forth and, and we can now believe on Christ and we can be rescued from that state. We can be set free from that state, the old man, the old woman. When one believes on Christ savingly, that old man dies, that old woman dies. When you believe Christ, when you trust him, when you call upon his name, it says in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The old man, the old woman is crucified with Christ, no longer slaves to sin, the body of death done away. That is a glorious truth and reality. And let me just say this, the old man, the old woman is not converted. They are not converted. They are crucified and replaced with something brand new. God does a brand new work. He doesn't just reform our old self. The old man, the old woman dies and God starts over completely new with something brand new. Galatians 2.20, Paul says it like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old I, the one who was Paul, the old man, that, that I has been crucified. And that I no longer lives. The new I, the I who now lives, that is Christ in Paul. And Paul now lives by faith. Faith in the one who gave himself and died for him. That's the new I. You understand the old man was crucified, the new came forth. Second Corinthians 5.17, we know this, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A he's a new creation. He's a new creation. Old things have what? Passed away. And behold, behold, it's like, listen to this, look at this, check this out. All things are new. All things are new. Amen. Amen. And that's exactly what God has done. He has not reformed the old man. He killed the old man and he made a brand new creation. Now this brand new creation comes with brand new characteristics. 
a brand new way of thinking, a brand new way of living. And I read um, Ephesians to you at the beginning, and I just want to go back to that text and hit on a couple of things. And then beyond that, Paul actually outlines what that new man looks like, how he, how he walks. Ephesians 4, 17, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So the new man walks differently. The new man lives differently. He acts differently, behaves differently, responds differently. We're different now. If you are in Christ, you ought to look different. You know, uh, Dan mentioned earlier, we believe God's people gather. Well, we also here believe that growing people change. Growing people change. If you are growing in Christ, you're going to look different. You're going to change. And so Paul says that very thing, that the new man, the new woman no longer walks as the rest of those people who are outside of Christ. They are different. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The new man, the new woman, they walk in love. They are characterized, marked by love. And this isn't the world's kind of love. This is the love of Christ. It says, just as Christ who gave himself for us as an offering and a sweet-smelling aroma to God. This is a, a sacrificial, unconditional love that this world knows nothing of. That's, that's how we are to be marked as the new man and the new woman in Christ. Ephesians 5.8 says, for you, uh, you were once darkness, but now you are light. And the Lord walk as children of the light. So we walk in the light of the knowledge of God's truth. The new man, the new woman walks in the light. They walk in purity. They walk in holiness. They walk in truth. And then finally, Ephesians 5.15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word circumspectly there is acrobos, and we get the word acrobat from it. And the idea is like walking on a tightrope. And it's walking with caution, right? Walking with wisdom. And that's what Paul says. Not as fools, but as wise. The new man, the new woman is, walks in wisdom. A life of wisdom in, in the truth and the words and the knowledge of Christ. So these are the kinds of things that, that we begin to, to change in as we put off the old man and put on the new. And we're a new creation and we walk in love and we walk differently and we walk in the light and we walk in wisdom. But even though we're new, even though we're new, we still have struggles. Do we not? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. I mean, we have struggles. I'm just being real. Now, here's the thing we got to understand. What it is not, it is not the old man and the new man as some cosmic battle here uh, for first place. And maybe you've heard the illustration that you have, you have uh, two, two dogs that are fighting, you know, and you've got the sin nature and you've got the new nature and the one that you feed is going to be the, the, the strongest and, and he will prevail. I used that illustration years ago and this guy said, actually the one that you starve would probably prevail because he'd be more vicious. And he's thinking literally like dog fights and stuff. And I was like, dang, that backfired on me. Anyways, it doesn't, it doesn't work anyways because that's not what this is, okay? It's not... And it's not the old man and the new man constantly arm wrestling to see who's the best, all right? And so even though the old man is crucified, we're still in what the Bible calls the flesh, the flesh. 
And that is our unredeemed humanity. I mean, our, the body in which we live, it's programmed. Okay? And uh, we have to spend the, the rest of our lives in some ways unprogramming or reprogramming ourselves. Now, th- now think about this, you know. Um, my, my grandpa quit smoking years ago, and he, he told me for years. I mean, he would be standing there working on something. He would step back, and he would go to his pocket, you know, to get a, a cigarette out. And there was nothing there. You know, he quit smoking. I, I heard another guy tell a story. He had LASIK surgery on his eyes, and he had to put eye drops in. So he would go to lift his glasses up to put eye drops in, but there were no glasses there. He just had his surgery so he wouldn't have glasses. And I feel like in, in many ways, that's kind of how it is. We have old patterns and tendencies that really stick with us. They really stick. They're really deeply ingrained in us. And we are new in Christ. God has done a brand new thing. But uh, there is a process through which the old, you know, our, the old man is dead. And we begin to look more and more like the new man, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. You know, Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. He says, I find then that there is a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul said there's like this battle going on inside of me and the, the, the new man, the inner man, delights in the law of God. But I find there's something else here. There's something else that compels me towards that which I hate, that which is not of God. And there's this battle that exists. And I think we all know this. If you're a Christian, you've been walking with the Lord for any, any matter of time, you are very familiar with what I'm talking about here. But nevertheless, Paul says that having put on the new man, we're to put off those deeds, the deeds of the old man, and we're to live a life that demonstrates that we're in Christ. So this is something we got to be serious about. This is something we got to fight for. This is something that we actually have to work towards. We have to put off the old man, put off the deeds of the old man, and we have to put on the new. We've got to dress the part, all right? The proper attire. One pastor said that we have to sever allegiance to the old order of life. You've got to sever allegiance to the old order of life. And you know, there's a great principle here, this put off and put on. It's not enough to just stop doing what we used to do. It's not enough to just stop. You know, I used to think that was what Christianity was as an unbeliever. It's just, just reform my life. Just quit doing the things that I know I should not do. That's why so many people don't, don't want to come to Christianity because that's what they think Christianity simply is. It's just a bunch of rules, just a bunch of don'ts. And I think most people realize that they can't just stop doing those kinds of things that they know they ought not to do, the things that they don't want to do, things that, quite frankly, many people are enslaved in. But that's not what Christianity is. You, you are to put those things off, but you are to put on something brand new. You're to replace that altogether. This is a common error that many people make. And may I say, if you're just simply trying to restrain the old man, that's a miserable way of living. And a lot of people do this. A lot of people do this, and they will spend their life just trying to stop doing some particular thing, especially within the world of addiction. I see this, but it's not just addiction. It's so many different character issues or habits or sinful tendencies or whatever. 
I'm just going to work on the outside. I'm just going to try to change the outside, but the inside is still dead. You know, you're, you're trying, to, trying to fix up a, a corpse. Please forgive me. I, that may sound kind of graphic, but that's kind of what we're talking about, ultimately. It doesn't work, right? We have to be made brand new in Christ. If the inside is new, the outside will be new. If the inside is new, the outside will be new. And so that's what must happen. So you got to put off the old man. You got to be crucified with Christ. You have to be born again. You have to put on the new man and you will change inevitably by the spirit of God because he has put his spirit within you. He has given you a new heart, new desires, and you will change. You will grow. In Titus 3, 3 through 7, it says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So you have to be born again. You have to be changed from the inside out. You have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. You have to be made new. Otherwise, none of this works, okay? You can't just, you cannot put on something else if you're still dead in your sin, if you're still a rebel to God, if you're still separated from a holy God, if you are that old man or woman, this does not work. You understand? And so it starts there. You must call upon the name of Jesus. You must cry out to him to be saved, to be forgiven, to be born again. And when you do that, God makes you new from the inside to the out. And so you must replace the old with the new. And this brings us to our second point. So after the old is gone and the new has come, there is the renewal of the new man into the image of Christ. Point number two, the renewal of the new man into the image of Christ. The latter part of uh, verse 10 there, it says, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now this speaks of progression. The first was position, you know, who, who we are, the new man. And this speaks of progression into Christ-likeness. All right, so God makes us new. But then the process of growing into that begins. The idea of renewed here it's, is we're always growing and we're always being made new. Have you ever thought about that before? You don't become a new creation in Christ and 10, 20, 30 years later, you're an old creation now. You're always being made new, always being renewed, always growing always changing, always going deeper into the things of Christ, always looking more and more like Christ, always fresh. God wants to do a fresh work. God wants to do a fresh work. And so this is progression. This is renewal. That's what the, the word here actually is getting at, to be renewed into the image of Christ. Now, just as the old man was growing in corruption, the Bible says, that old man, he's growing, but he's growing more corrupt growing more corrupt. The new man 
is being renewed. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Though he was persecuted heavily, though he was, the, the body was just getting beat up and imprisoned and starved and everything else, the new man was being renewed day by day. Day by day, Paul said, the new man is being renewed. And so just as we're born physically and we develop, we understand this, the same is true spiritually. We're born spiritually and we develop. And as we develop, we look more and more like the one who created us. We begin to take on his characteristics, his features. We begin to look and act and sound and talk like Christ. There ought to be a family resemblance. Amen? Amen. If God is your father, then you ought to look like your daddy. Okay? You ought to look like him. There's too many people who they don't bear the resemblance. They don't bear the resemblance. Something is dead wrong there. And so we ought to take on the image of the one who created us. Now, that's what it says, in the image of him who created us. Now, this has been God's plan. This is what God is doing. We know in Romans 8, 29, Paul said that we were predestined to this, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God has determined he is going to do in our lives. That's what God is up to in our lives. He is trying to make us like Jesus. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 45, I love this. It says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So with the first Adam, we know who that is. That is literally Adam. The last Adam, who is that? That's Christ. Exactly. So this kind of ties back to that Romans 5 thing. Verse 47, it says, The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. How cool is that? What an awesome verse. We have borne the image of the earthly man, the man of dust, but we will bear the image of the heavenly man, Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Lord of heaven. That's God's goal, that we would bear the image of Christ, that we would bear the image of Christ. And it says that as you are renewed in knowledge, there in verse 10, that we will become more like him. And so this is really important, folks. So what we've got to understand, it's a matter of the mind. As the mind changes, so does the conduct. It really is a matter of the mind. What is going into your mind? What are you thinking? We talked about that last week. You know, what, what are you setting your mind on? Ephesians 4.23 says that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind that we put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. So it is a, a, a matter of the mind. Now, a lot of Christians in the day and age that we live in, it's, it's purely emotionalism. They want an experience and that's what they are chasing. They want to be made to feel good, to, to feel excited, to feel passionate. And I'm not hating on those things. Who doesn't want to feel those things? I love it when I'm kind of in that place and I'm, I'm feeling good in the Lord and I'm excited about the things of God and I have joy in the Lord. It's a, it's a great thing. I certainly don't like it when I'm in that dry season and I'm not feeling good in the Lord. I hate that. As real as it is, but there's something much bigger, much more important, and that is the mind. 
the mind, not so much the emotion as it is the mind. And so we don't check our minds at the door. If we want to grow in Christ's likeness, we have to engage the mind. You have to turn on the mind. And what are you putting into your mind? Because in this world, I mean, we are bombarded with everything that is anti-Christ. I mean, absolutely. You, have, you don't have to make any effort. If you just wake up and you're breathing, then you're going to get bombarded. It gets into our houses. It gets in. I mean, it, it's, it's inescapable. So how do we counteract that? What are you doing? What are you doing to, to help stop that and to be renewed in your mind into the things of God, the things of Christ? Are you taking in the word of God? Are you listening to the teaching of God's word? Are you singing and worshiping Jesus? Are you having godly conversation with other people that, that centers on the word of God? Are you, are you being fed the word of God? Is it just happening on Sunday morning once a week? That's not good if this is all you're getting. And we, need to be, we really need to be taking in God's word if we want our minds to be changed. I heard someone say one time regarding memorizing scripture, it's like, it's like you got a bucket full of mud and every time you throw a rock in there, the mud is thrown out and eventually you have a bucket full of rocks, right? And so as, the idea was as you're filling your brain with the word of God, that mud and that garbage is going out and eventually you'll have a head full of rocks, I mean, you know, the illustration only goes so far, but I get what he's saying. And so, you know, what are we putting in there? Because our minds are already full of garbage. Our hearts are already tainted by, uh, by this world and, you know, the flesh, the enemy, everything that's contrary to God. And so if it happens through the mind, by the mind, if, if the mind affects the rest of our, our being, then we have to take seriously the renewal of the mind. And that is how we grow in Christ. It comes through knowledge. So it's not so much through, through emotional experiences. Uh, it's, it's very much the mind. What are you putting in there? Are you feeding and feasting upon the word of God? And are you allowing the word of God as it goes in to have its way in your life? to assimilate and to, to become a part of who you are and how you live. And you know, a big part of it, folks, is knowing how to apply it because we know this stuff. But then when, uh, when we get confronted, um, with the, the, um, opportunity to apply it, we don't, we don't, you know? And so that's a big part of the challenge is actually living out what we know. And as you do that, you're renewed unto knowledge. I used to have a guy that would tell me all the time, you know, Rob, I'm just not impressed with what you know. I'd rather see you live it. And uh, that used to offend me so much back then. But now I totally get it. And he was right, you know. Some of us, we got knowledge galore, but are we actually living it? Has it made its way from our head to our heart? Has it worked its way out into our lives? That's the renewal process. And so that's what God is doing. We must fill our minds with truth. We need our minds washed. We must expose ourselves regularly to God's truth. You know, I would love to encourage you guys and, 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 and uh, give you some ideas about sermons that you could listen to, pastors you could listen to, books you could read. Um, just approach me or one of the pastors and, and we could plug you guys in. You know, sometimes I hear the kinds of stuff that people are listening to and it shocks me. And it really discourages me, and it really worries me. And so that's something we got to take very seriously. Even within Christianity, what are you listening to, man? we got to be more discerning. 
We have to be discerning. Just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean that it is. You know, the enemy is, he wants to get in there and put a Christian tag on it, and you just don't know what kind of goobly gop you're listening to and sharing with other people, and it's like, you know, we've got to take that stuff more seriously. And so, you know, it's important, but it's something we need to be doing. All right, this brings us to our next third point. So we've talked about replacing the old man with the new. We've talked about the renewal of the new man into the image of Christ. Now the third one is the relationship of the new man with the body of Christ. The relationship of the new man with the body of Christ. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This speaks of the partnership, the partnership of the new man in community. So we had the position of the new man, we had the progress of the new man, and now we're talking about the partnership of the new man in community, the relationship. We're told that there is neither, where there is neither. So there's there's no distinction. And the list that Paul just mentioned, he says that there is no difference. There's no distinction between them. The Greeks and the Jews, this would have been a racial barrier. And it was a very real, very real racial barrier. The Jews and the Greeks hated each other with uh, an intense disgust and disdain. And that, that existed in the church. Then there's the circumcised or the uncircumcised. This is religious barriers, religious barriers. And that happens in the church, you know, preferences. You know, I think we ought to do it this way. I think we ought to do it that way. So what do we do? We just split. And then you have factions and you have uh, schisms in the body of Christ. Then there's the barbarians and the Scythians. This is cultural barriers, cultural barriers. What's fascinating is, is I mean, barbarian is more of a gen- generic term, but these are both the same thing. The Scythians were barbarians. So it's like, you're both barbaric, but those barbarians are worse than these barbarians. And it's like, they're all pretty barbarous in my mind. And so, but it's, it's interesting. And the idea of the barbarian, the Greek, basically it was like an onomatopoeic Pia type thing. It, it, they just barbar. It's what it sounds like when, when you hear them talk. The Greeks were so sophisticated and elevated in culture and the barbarians, they were just so uh, uncouth. And so they're barbar. That's all I hear when they talk. That's kind of how the term barbarian came about. But the Scythians were, were an especially uh, sick, uh, barbaric people. I mean, I could really go on about things they were known for, but just, you know, a couple, they would, you know, turn skulls into drinking cups and scalps into napkins and just really disgusting, sick type barbaric stuff. And so Paul says in the body of Christ, you know, a Scythian, a barbarian, a Greek, a Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, and Christ, the new man, they're all the same. This would have been insane for them to hear something like this. They would think, how could this possibly be? He says there's neither slave nor free. This is social barriers. Slavery was such a very real part of the Roman culture. Millions and millions and millions of slaves. And so it was just very common for there to be these interactions. And in the church, you would have property owners, slave owners who were members of the body of Christ. And then you would have slaves who were pastors in the body of Christ. 
And that would be a very, very bizarre and awkward reversal that when the, the slave owner would come into the assembly and he would, he would submit himself to the authority of the pastor and put himself under the teaching of the word of God because Christ is all and in all. And there's no distinction. Socially, religious, um, culturally, racially, Christ is all and in all because we all had a debt that we could not pay. Every one of us have a debt that we cannot, could not pay. We all have received a common forgiveness in Christ. We have all, we have all received of Christ's forgiveness. And we all have a common bond in Christ. We are one in him. Amen. Amen. And so Paul says that's the relationship of the new man with the body of Christ. There is no higher, hierarchy. There's no status. There's no distinction. There's no... You know, these guys get the special treatment and these don't. It, it does not work that way. There's no room in the body of Christ for that kind of behavior. Separating and dividing over earthly, outward type things. God is so greatly glorified through diversity and unity. You know that? I mean, we can't unite on all things. There is a time to divide. There is a time to separate. Jesus even said, I came not to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Because the truth does separate. The truth does divide. But the reality is so often, too often, we divide over things that should not divide, things that do not glorify God, things that Christ would not have us divide over. And you know, I look at even the disciples. Matthew, you know who Matthew is, right? He was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. So he was really considered a traitor to the people. And uh, then you have Simon the Zealot. Man, the Zealots were like homegrown terrorists. And their whole objective was to overthrow uh, Rome, to throw off the yoke of Rome. And they were, many of them were assassins, Sicarii. They were, I don't know if you've ever seen Assassin's Creed. It's a video game. This assassin, that would be, that would be a Sicarii. That would be a, 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 a Jewish Zealot. And these guys were highly trained to, to move into crowds and, uh, and stab Roman soldiers, whoever, and get out undetected. One of those guys was actually a disciple of Jesus. And there was Matthew, and here they are. I mean, Simon would have killed Matthew. Easy. But uh, now here they are in Christ united. They're on the same team for the same cause. Isn't that amazing? And that's what Christ does. That's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. I have a pastor friend in Vallejo. He was just recently telling me that Vallejo is um, the most diverse city in California. And I was kind of surprised, well, I was kind of surprised to hear that. And I, I looked it up and sure enough, it was true. He said in his church that 26 nationalities represented. I was like, that is the coolest thing, man. How awesome is that? And that's the way it's going to be in heaven. It's the way it's going to be because God deserves to be glorified in, in, in so many different ways. I think about the languages. You know, people say, what language, language will we speak in heaven? I think it will be all languages that are on earth currently, and we will all be able to understand them because God deserves to be praised in every language imaginable. Amen. You know, I mean, that's just my own opinion, speculation there. But I just say all that to say, and that's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. There's no room for division, for separation, for, for uh, these kinds of social barriers that we 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 bring into, into the equation, you know, it just ought not be. So that's the relationship of the new man. We are in Christ and we are all one in him. Now, lastly, last uh, point, I could not come up with an R to save my life. 
And so I finally came up with one, and I don't think I've ever used this word before now, and it's the rectitude of the new man in Christ. <laughs> the rectitude of the new man in Christ. And that just means, uh, you know, moral integrity, uh, moral righteousness. That's, that's the idea of rectitude. And so verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. So now we're getting to the put-ons here. And so this, this really speaks of the performance of the new man, the performance. This would be the, right, the practical righteousness. So we are righteous inwardly as, as a new man and new woman in Christ. That is who we are, but we're to also be righteous outwardly and we're to grow in our Christ-likeness and we're to put on the new man and we're to, uh, to perform, as it were, in righteousness. So it says there in verse 12, therefore, therefore. So the idea is since, since you have put off the old man, since you have put off the old man and since you are who Paul is getting ready to, uh, to, to specify, he's going to talk about kind of our identity, who we are in Christ. So that's what Paul's appealing to. I just want to kind of lay that out there. Paul, Paul is getting ready to Give them some, some action. Here, it's time to take action, but I'm appealing to who you are in Christ. This action is going to flow out of your identity. You guys tracking with me? Does this make sense? It's because of who God says you are. It's because of who God has made you to be. That is, that is the motivation uh, through which you are going to be able to, to actually do these things. And so the first thing Paul says, he says, therefore, as the elect of God, because you are God's chosen people, because God chose you, because God chose you, you know, the, the, uh, the elect of God, it's just something that we see throughout the scriptures. Um, it's just, I mean, from cover to cover, from the old Testament to the new Testament, God has always been in the business of choosing, you know, he chose Abraham, chose Abram. He chose the nation of Israel, and he purposed that he was going to glorify himself through these people, and that he was going to give his promises specially to these folks. And then Christ came through, through, uh, through the nation of Israel, and then, then the church came forth by God's sovereign design, and then God has elected his Christians. He has chosen them. He has called them, and that is such a glorious, glorious truth. Praise God that he has chosen us. Amen. Amen. I, I mean, how often do you just stop and thank God that he chose you? We didn't choose him. He chose us. He chose us. Jesus said that I didn't choose you or you didn't choose me. I chose you that you should go and bear much fruit. And that, that's special, folks. That, that, there's hum great humility in that. There's great humility. It's not because I was worthy. It's not because I was deserving. It wasn't, God didn't say, man, I need that guy on my team. I need what that guy can bring to the table, right? It's not that at all. In God's, in God's infinite mercy and kindness, he chose a people for himself upon whom he would pour out his, his blessing and his affection and his love in Christ. And when you know that, when you know that God chose you, when you know that God chose you, that ought to do something to you. I think in First Thessalonians chapter 1, I love this, verse 4, Paul says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, 
For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. What Paul is saying here is that it is very obvious to me that God chose you because when we preach the gospel, you believed it with power, with conviction, and with full assurance in the Holy Spirit. And it was very apparent to us that indeed God had called you, God had chosen you. The, the NLT, 1 Thessalonians, is the same verse. I want to read this in the NLT. Just FYI for your own personal Bible study, you should check out the NLT. It is, it is a great, great resource, and I quote it uh, regularly for reasons like this. Listen to how the NLT puts it. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own, uh, his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. God loves his people. You know, God has, God has chosen us and God's, God has a special love and affection that comes. And when you know that, when you know that, that ought to, to provoke you. That ought to stir up a love and a gratitude and a desire to serve God to know God better and to honor him. Amen? Amen. And so Paul says, you are the chosen of God and you are holy. You're God's elect and you're holy. And this word holy, it means called out. It means set apart for the Lord's use. It means different. It means God's own possession. Saint, you are holy. If you are in Christ, the new man is holy. You've been called out of the world. You've been set apart for God's own purposes. You are different. You are God's special and unique possession because God has made you that in Christ. And you are beloved, Paul says. And that is the recipient of God's love and the object of God's special affection. Do you know that? If you're in Christ, did you know this? that you are God's chosen, that you are holy and beloved, that you are the object of God's special affection. I mean, too often I don't think we live like live under that reality. I, I know I don't. Too often I struggle to believe this stuff, you know? But that's what the Bible says. The Bible says this is the kind of love that God loves us with. God chose us. God saved us. God changed us. God set us apart. And God made us the recipients of his special affection and love. That's amazing to me. And that is the kind of thing that motivates us to live a life of obedience to God. We don't live obediently so that we can have these things. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We don't, that's, that's kind of like what the way the world looks at Christianity. We're, we're running, we're running tirelessly to try to be this so that we can have, so that we can have what God has already given us so that we can be who God has already said that we are. So because God has chosen us, because God has made us holy, because God, his love is on us, it causes us to want to live a life that pleases him. It causes us to want to live a life that reflects his goodness and his kindness, right? right. And so what does that look like? He says that, well, it looks like this. You are to put on. And so the word put on here, it, it means literally to envelop oneself in. You know, it is to envelop oneself, to surround yourself with these things. And the first thing is tender mercies. We're to be a people that are marked by tender mercies. It's 
pity, it's, it's compassion. It's deep feelings about someone else's difficulty or misfortune. It's literally visceral compassions. I mean, it is gut level compassion in your gut. I mean, you just feel it. You feel, I've heard it said it's, it's uh, someone else's pain in my heart, you know? And this is very different because as a Christian, we're to be concerned about other people. We're to be other, others focused. So often the old man was not. The old man is, is very self-focused, not feeling the pain and the hurts of others because we're far too concerned about our own. But Paul says the new man, the new woman puts on tender mercy. And this deep gut level compassion, this is the same thing that Christ felt when it said that he had compassion. Uh, the word, it's a Greek word, it's splankna. It's kind of an ugly word. And uh, <laughs> the idea is it's like spleen. It's like intestines. It's your gut, you know. And the thing is, that is the way much of the world understood what we understand as the heart, because the gut was like the center of, of you know, you laugh till your side splits, or if you're nervous, you got butterflies and ulcers, you know, can it come from worrying? And so, it's like uh, the, from, from one's core, from the center of your being, from your gut, your, to have this kind of compassion, this kind of mercy. It's what Christ has had for us. And so it's what we're to have for others. He says that we're to put on kindness. This literally means usable or well fit for use. And it's, it's kindness that is also serviceable. And so the idea is, is it's, it's a kindness that actually has action to it. It's, it's kindness in heart and in, in attitude, but it's also in deed. If you know something and you feel something, you're going to act on it. You're going to try to help. You're going to try to meet that need. You're going to try to serve and bless that person in some way. And so it's, it's kind of like the outworking of the tender mercies. You feel it and you do something about it. He says that we're to put on humility Humility, lowliness. I heard, I heard one, one, uh, one pastor say that in the classical Greek language, they didn't have a word for humility. The word didn't exist because it was such, it was, that was to be despised. Pride was the thing that you, you attained for. Notoriety, to be great. And so this was a very different thing in Christianity. The idea of humility, lowliness, um, let me kind of read this definition to you. It, it says here that this, this humility, this lowliness, it's an inside-out virtue produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than others. And so when we compare ourselves to God, it humbles us because we see, we see just how far we fall short of measuring up to the glory of God. It is not something that is produced by comparing ourselves to other people, which is what we like to do, Right? We're, we're good there all day. We can always find somebody we can compare ourselves to and try to make ourselves feel better, but that's not what this is. This humility comes from a, a proper perspective when we, when we compare ourselves to, to God. This brings behavior into alignment with the inner revelation to keep one from being self-exalting. You're not going to glorify and exalt yourself when you have this kind of perspective, this humility, this lowliness. It means living in complete dependence on the Lord with no reliance on self. That's what this word means. 
you know, self-sufficiency. I got this. I'm the man. I'm, you know, I'm the woman. I, you know, I got what I need and I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody to tell me that, that self, you know, aggrandizement, uh, you know, to inflate oneself. It's the opposite of that. It's no, I'm, I need help. I need God. And I do not measure up to, to him at all. That's, that's lowliness. The next one, Paul says we're to put on meekness. And this is gentle strength. You often probably hear people say meekness is uh, strength under control. Strength under control. And I suppose that's, that's, a, that's a, good, um, a good definition. But it's, um, it's also kind of like a willingness to do the hard thing so that other people don't have to. It's, it's that kind of strength. You know, let me step in and do the hard thing. Let me bear the brunt. Let me take the hit so that others don't have to. I mean, that's, that's true strength, and that is, is that not what Christ did? I mean, Christ was the most meek of all. I mean, that truly was power under control. He really could have just vaporized everybody with, with a word uh, there at the cross, but he didn't do that. But he actually, he actually humbled himself and uh, paid that price for the sake of, of, uh, of his own people. And that, that's true meekness. And that's, we're to be marked by that. And then, and lastly, Paul says that we're to put on long suffering. And so the idea of long suffering is waiting sufficient time before expressing anger. You know, instead of, instead of reacting just explosively, long suffering, it's waiting before you respond uh, this avoids the premature use of force or retribution that rises out of an improper anger, you know, a, a personal reaction. Interesting, F.F. Bruce, a uh, commentator, says this, if in English we had an adjective, uh, long-tempered, as a counterpart, short-tempered, the word here, uh, that's what it would be, long-tempered. Like we, we talk about short-tempered, you ever heard that, right? I'm sure we got plenty of, plenty of those in our midst. And, uh, and, you know, it is what it is. That's a real, that's real. You know, it's, it's hard. Um, but we're to put on long-suffering, which means long-tempered. That's what we're to be in Christ. We're to be long-tempered. And so these are the kinds of things that ought to mark uh, the new man, the new woman. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a good start. And this is what Paul says we're to be characterized by. He goes on to say in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. So we're to bear with one another. This doesn't mean to like tolerate, you know, I'm just going to put up with you, right? I mean, if that's the best you got, I suppose that'll do, you know, that's a start, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a enduring graciously and patiently. I think about, man, godly brothers and sisters throughout my, my Christian walk who have endured with me patiently. My many failures and just fleshly episodes fleshing out, and, and yet there they were, just walking graciously alongside me, helping me to get back up and dust off and keep moving forward. I praise God for brothers and sisters like that. We have to be those kinds of people. We're not that so often. We, 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 uh, we get annoyed we get frustrated. We lose patience with other people. And instead, we're to bear with one another. And then he says, specifically, we're to be forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, now let me just tell you, this will always occur. There is no shortage of complaints 
that people have one for another in the body of Christ. We are people and we are people in community and we're going to be offending each other and stepping on each other's toes. It, It just happens. And so if that happens, when that happens, we are commanded to forgive one another, even as Christ forgave us. So that's the kind of forgiveness. The forgiveness that Christ gave us, folks, was not a, I guess I will forgive you. You know, uh, just a, just a, just a, a, a weak forgiveness, a wavering forgiveness. I forgave you, but now, you know, I'm kind of remembering afresh what you said or what you did, and I'm mad all over again. That's not the kind of forgiveness that Christ gave us, is it? And so it's a complete and full and abundant forgiveness. And, and the idea, even as Christ forgave us, the fact that Christ did forgive us, how dare we not forgive other people? Yet far too often we do live in unforgiveness. Far too often we've been forgiven this insane debt and, and it's like crumbs and we can't even give that. We can't even forgive the next person who, who somehow offended us. And Paul says, not so, you must. You must bear with one another, forgive one another. Even as Christ forgave you, you must also forgive. Verse 14, he says, but above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So one thing rises above all the rest, and that is love. That is love. And we know this. Paul said that uh, you can have all of these other things, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. You can have so many gifts. You can just be dynamic personality. You can just serve and, and, and be the most sacrificial person in the world. But if it's not in love, then it's a waste. It's just obnoxious. It's just a banging symbol. You know, you, you've heard that, right? Just a clanging symbol. Have you ever just stopped to think about what that would be like, what that's like? If we're talking and then periodically I just clash some symbols in front of you, you'd be like, what? You know, stop that, please. I mean, that's, that's what it's like. It's that. It's like that. And that's what a person who is not loving, but, but it, you know, it's, it's that. And so Paul says, look, you can't be that. You must put on love. And that, there's that put on again. You must be immersed in, enveloped in love. He says, this is the bond of perfection. Literally, that is the belt that holds everything else together. It is the belt that holds everything together, love. As the new man, as the new woman, we ought to be marked by love, the love of Christ. Love, 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 right? Verse 15, he says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So this, let the peace of God rule. The word for rule, it was used of, of, of an umpire in, in uh, competitive sports. And so... Peace is to be the thing that, that calls the shots. And, and by that, what that means is, is, is that, you know, I think that we kind of understand what it is to navigate through situations by the peace of God. Um, I think sometimes we can go a little overboard with that. I don't have a peace about that. I don't have a peace about that. Because sometimes God calls us to do hard things, scary things. Frankly, he frequently calls us to do that. And then it's a cop-out. You know, I just don't have a peace about that. Either, either that's not my gift or I don't have a peace about it. Okay, so that can be a total cop-out. But there is this idea that we're to let the peace of God, you know, when you sin, when we sin, that wrecks the peace of God in our life. So if you know that there's something that you're tempted to do, but it's going to really 
devastate your relationship with Jesus and zap the peace of God out of your life, don't do it. You see what I'm saying? That's kind of the idea. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your lives. He says, to which you were called in one body. So this is not only personally, but corporately. We are a body of believers who are to be at peace with one another. And he says to be thankful. You know, the old person murmuring, complaining, worrying, uh, that is befitting of the old man. That's what the old man, the old woman did. The new man is to be marked by gratitude. Gratitude. Verse 16 says, let the word of, of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the word of Christ, let it dwell in you richly. That is, let it find its home in you. Let the word of Christ be at home in you. That is just, and we get this. When we're at home, we're at peace for the most part. You understand, we're, we're in our, our domain, our territory. We can, we can let the guard down. We can relax, kick the shoes off. We don't feel awkward in our own home. You shouldn't anyways. And that's the way it ought to be with the word of God. It's not awkward. It's not weird. It's, you know, the word of God is, it dwells in you richly, abundantly, extravagantly. And, and you are quite familiar and comfortable with the word of God, the word of Christ. That's the way the new man is to be. Filling the mind, filling the heart with the truth of Christ, saturated in the word of God, living by the word of God, sharing the word of God, the word of Christ in all wisdom. And that is the proper application of the word of Christ. It's exactly what wisdom is. It's knowing how to live it out, how to apply it. He says, teaching and admonishing one another, so we're to share. The word of Christ is to be at home in our lives. And we're also to, to use the words of Christ to teach and encourage one another. And then also in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you know, it should just be coming out of us, folks. I mean, it, the word of Christ, it is in our hearts, our lives, our minds, and it is coming out. We are sharing it, encouraging. We are singing it. We are a people who are saturated in the word of Christ. And we are marked by it. And we're a joyful people. You know, singing is such an important part of the church. I've heard it said that joy is not so much a look as much as it is a sound. And it sounds like singing, you know, singing, celebrating. And so this is to mark the new man, the new woman, the church. And we're to sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. That is sincere and genuine praise. This isn't some outward show. It's in the heart. I have a, um, an aunt who, just a side note, she is, um, she's a Christian, but the denomination she's in doesn't believe that instruments are allowed in, in the music. It's just purely singing, a cappella, and that's it. And she pointed this verse out to me and said, As you see there, you're supposed to do it in your hearts. And so that's where the melody comes from. And, it, and so no, none, of that, none of the worldly instrument stuff I thought that was so interesting, you know, and then she gave me, she was so kind as to give me a list of her type of churches in my town so I could leave my church and go to, go to her denomination. It's like, thank you. But anyways, <laughs> we're to be singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. In verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, whatever you do in speech, in your thoughts, your thinking, 
in your conduct, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means represent Christ. Does your thought life represent well Christ? Does your speech, the speech that you use, represent Christ well in the world? You're an ambassador of Christ. The new man is marked very much by conduct. So when you speak, what comes out? Is it filthy? Is it crude? Is it blasphemous? Is it slander? Is it gossip? Is it complaining? You know, what is it? Is it vulgar? Whatever we do in conduct, how we carry ourselves, the things that we, we give ourselves to, the way that we live our lives, do all of that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Represent Christ well and give thanks to God the Father through him. How often do you just stop and meditate on the good things that God has filled your life with? That's the marker of the new man. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this before regularly. I, I will thank God. I have running water in my, in my house. You know, praise God for that. I mean, golly, there's so many things that God has filled our lives with that we, do, we take for granted. And then we complain and we worry and we think about things we don't have, we wish we had. But the new man, the new woman is to be marked by gratitude, always giving thanks to the Father through Jesus Christ. And are we not a people who have so much to praise God for? We have every reason to praise God and to give him thanks through Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's just uh, have a word of prayer and we'll do that. Father, we praise you and we give you thanks. Thank you first and foremost that you called us, Lord, from darkness into light. Thank you that you have saved us through Jesus Christ. Thank you that the old man is crucified and that you have done a brand new work. And now we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we're growing in Christ's likeness, Lord, and that you're in control of that ultimately. And it is going to happen, like it or not. We are being conformed and will finally be conformed to his glorious image. And I know that's our desire. Father, I pray that we would put off the old man, the old woman that is corrupt, and that we would put on the new man, the new woman in Christ, and be renewed into your image day by day. If there's anybody here or watching online who has not, who has not turned from their sin, who has not turned to Christ, then Lord, I know you're drawing them. Father, I pray that now, God, that they would make that commitment that they would call upon the name of Jesus, that they would confess that they have indeed sinned and that they, have, they are separated from a holy God and that if they died right now, they know they would have to stand before the judgment of a holy God and that they would not make it into heaven. Father, I pray that, uh, that Lord, now they would call upon the name of Jesus. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation that they would put their trust in you, Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. You died on the cross for our sin. You rose again from the grave victoriously, declaring victory over sin, over death, over the enemy. And that if we call upon you, Jesus, if we, if we cry out to you for salvation and forgiveness, you will give it abundantly and generously. And that we will be born again and made new in Christ if anybody has not done that, I pray, O oh God, that today, that right now, or they would call upon your name and that they would be made brand new in Christ and that they would put on the new man.
created in Christ Jesus for good works. We praise you, Father. We bless your holy name. And we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.